0: Welcome to Tulip Mamas, a kid-lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer.
1: And I'm Margie Ozemet. I am a mom to two boys. I'm a teacher and a writer.
0: And welcome to the third episode of Tulip Mamas. You sound a lot better, I have to say.
1: Thank God, finally. I I feel like the pollen of New England is finally settling down and I don't sound like Brenda Vaccaro anymore, even though I still love you, Brenda. So what's new with you, lady? Well, finally, we got to the end of school. It's over. It was a horrible limp to the finish line. We made it. It's done. I now have a, oh, I can't even say it It makes my heart hurt. And incoming 7th grader. Can you believe that? He's going into 7th grade. And now an incoming 2nd grader, which is even more tragic. I have an incoming junior. (laughs) You're old, though. You're a lot older than me. Uh, Yeah, thanks. That year makes a big difference in age between you and me. (laughs) I thought I started late having kids, but you started way late. Oh, God, no, I was really late. I was really late. My 50th birthday party is going to be like at the same time as the fourth grade dance parties.
0: You know what my uh, soon-to-be junior is doing on Monday, by the way? He is going to be flying an airplane for the first time. We got him signed up for flight lessons. Oh, my God, you've lost your mind.
1: I don't even want my kid on a skateboard board and you're giving yours an airplane i know i'm trying
0: really hard not to be nervous
1: that's awesome
0: <laughs> somebody said oh does he get to fly like the first time and we're like yep they take him up and they fly it's like learning to drive
1: they just get you in the car do they really Yep. have him text you when he lands just be like don't tell me anything else honey just text mommy when you oh, land for sure well and the other thing is is he can drive
0: now so he's going to drive himself there and go fly and then you're drive You're literally himself nothing home. to him
1: now. You are nothing to him, but like you're just, you pay the rent. That's it. I make food. And even that he can get on his own now. That's true. Sometimes he goes and buys his own lunch and comes back. He's so sweet though, because he always asks if we want something before he goes. Oh, that's because he looks at you like you're geriatrics now. <laughs> He's like, there's my <laughs> old parents. Poor things. I'll have to be putting them in shady pines soon. I know. Better get a good job so I can put my parents up. Oh my God. I'm not far behind you going to Shady Pines, although I will still be taking my youngest with me because when I go to Shady Pines, (laughs) he won't even be in college yet. They'll be like, I'm sorry, ma'am, you can't bring children. Yeah, but he'll want to go with you. Well, because he's a mama's boy. He's like the best mama's boy ever.
0: He'll be playing Euchre with all the old
1: ladies. (laughs) Exactly. He'll be like, can I make you a wine spritzer? My mom taught me how when I was six. Okay. So this morning I'm out for my walk because I do that now because I've now like decided that I must officially be middle-aged. I don't know. (laughs) So I've been on on this thing where I I go two to three miles every day. I try to do it. And because we live in New England around nothing but cranberry bogs, and they don't really believe in sidewalks in the majority of New England, I walk in the cemetery. (laughs) So I spend a lot of time in the cemetery across the street from our house, and I do my mileage there. And today's, it's like hot. Oh my God, it was so hot. And it might have been hot. It might have been me. I don't know. Fat, walking in the sun. Any of it could have been bad, you know? And I'm stopping every couple of minutes to take pictures. And I'm sitting there and I'm like taking pictures of these flowers and then the bee on the flower. And then I'm like listening to my true crime murder podcast while I'm taking pictures of flowers in the cemetery. And I'm like, this is what's happened. This is it. This is literally middle-aged. And I'm like, is there sweat like going down my back? And I'm like, yep, this is it. It's over. This is all the things I used to mock. So you know what I did? Backstory, I got a Kiss t-shirt this week because I was like, this is really cute and I want it and I love Kiss. So then this morning I went online and I ordered a Guns N' Roses t-shirt because I'm not going to be the flower lady. And if I am going to be the flower picture lady, then at least I'm going to wear a Guns N' Roses t-shirt.
0: I love it. It's bad out here, girl. It's bad.
1: All right, should we do it? Should we talk about books? All right, let's get to it. For this
0: episode, we were aiming for some fun in the sun, light summer reading, but I'm not sure we really
1: nailed it, but we definitely landed on some great read. Yeah, so somehow we are miles apart and we both randomly pick books, just randomly of yes. our own choosing, something that looks good for you, something that looks good for me. And then we get the books and they are of the same theme. It's crazy because we have one brain. Obviously. So our theme this week, we have two great books that talk about the immigrant experience from very different perspectives.
0: See, and I would say that they were about comedy and the immigrant experience.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's great because I have an immigrant, my husband. I've been an immigrant, which is also not the best thing I've ever had to go through in life. And I feel like these books, both of them just nailed it. Yeah, They nailed what it's like. Uh, And I have two kids that are the sons of an immigrant and both of these books got it all right. So tell us what we're reading. For this
0: episode, we're going to talk about two important summer reads. So let's get started. Both of the main characters in the two books we're highlighting in this episode use comedy to get them out of some difficult jams. So do you want to kick it off with the first book you chose?
1: I will. The first book that I chose, um, and I'm notorious for judging a book by its cover, and this book cover looked incredibly entertaining. It's a small boy with two giant mosquitoes. And the name of it is We're Not From Here by uh, Jeffrey Rodkey. Now, one thing, though, I want to make this note. There is another book called We Are Not From Here. Are you kidding me? And it's also, it's a YA book, higher middle grade YA it also came out at the same time. Both of these came out in 2018. This one came out in November 2018. Um, and that one, I'm not sure exactly when, but it came out in 2018. But it is called We Are Not Here. And that's by Jenny Torres Sanchez. That's not the one we're talking about. We're talking about the we, we're we <laughs> not from here. So we went the Mosquitoes. Not the girl by the border, if you're judging a book by its cover. This one, the best description of it I read was it says a little bit of black comedy with a sci-fi mashup and a whole lot of political irony. Oh, yeah. I feel like that sums it up really, really well. This is written by Jeff Rodkey, like I said. He wrote Daddy Daycare. He's written some other middle grade comedy. I was not expecting this book at all. There's not been a soul alive that I've run into this week that I have not told them to go buy this book immediately. It was nothing I expected. Utterly blew me away. Would you say the same thing? Yeah, it's a
0: super smart, smart book. It is true sci-fi. I mean, it made my little sci-fi heart happy. The purpose of science fiction from the beginning has been to address current social issues because you can do it through the lens of distance and otherworldliness and aliens, and you can really address some serious issues. Like Star Trek was definitely known for that from the very beginning. I mean, they went into issues of race and equality and interracial relationships. I just feel like this hit home as far as true sci-fi goes because of that, because they explored immigration issues, like you said, and the idea of being hated for just being who you are or judged Mm -hmm. by the actions of others and being lumped into one group based on
1: those actions. Yeah, or being judged by actions that came generations and generations and generations before you.
0: That's and, a huge you know, and it talks too, about you know. propaganda and how it can be used to get rile up the masses to to hate you know different groups.
1: Yeah, so basically, let me just give you a rundown of what happened. So our main character is Lan or Lon, Lan or Lon. I don't know. I like they call him land human which i think is really funny uh, when he gets there um he has a sister and a mom and a dad and they are all living on mars because earth has been destroyed by of course humans because that's how we roll and the resources were limited to begin with and now they're pretty much out so there's three choices one of the choices is to go back to earth and try to make it work again there's another considered goldilocks planet where they might there's like i think it said like a 70% chance it might be viable or they can go, there's a, the planet Chum has agreed to accept them as refugees. They ex- have accepted other refugees. They've taken in the Kirk and the Nug and the or Oro at, over the years. And um, Zuri are the people that run that planet. So they've made a deal with them that they could come there, that the humans can come here. So that actually people leave Mars, they divide up into three teams. And the team that goes to um, the planet Chum has to go, I don't know what they, like they basically have to go into a coma for 20 years to get there. I thought that was awesome.
0: It was so cool. I love this device by the author too because they were able to just skip all the boring stuff and hit the highlights in this book because of the science fiction aspects that were involved in it. Unfortunately,
1: and this is where it all starts to become very, very real. The government that was in place that had invited them in the planet tomb had invited the refugees and said that they were refugee friendly, We're a peaceful nation, blah, blah, blah. Well, they got voted out. And what came back was a very natural, nationalist government and they only wanted to, they only wanted themselves there. They didn't want to bring anybody else in. So, but when they wake up from their 20 year nap, they don't have anywhere to go. They don't have food. They don't have fuel. They don't have anything. So they cut a deal. Then they let Land and his family come onto the planet to prove to them that humans are okay even though they have no intention of letting them on. And then it goes on from there. And that's where it just really gets brilliantly amazing. So much of the book, though, I was really shocked that it was considered humor. It got funnier, but it was such a heavy topic for me that I felt like, and maybe it was my attachment to it, but I felt that it was done a disservice by just marketing it as a humor book because I would teach this in science. I would teach this besides just English. I would teach this in social studies. I would teach this in government. I would teach this in anthropology classes. I could teach this in a million different classes. But because of humor, that doesn't usually get past the curriculum board. So I think it's interesting. But I do
0: think by labeling it humor, it gets past kids' noses. They would want to read it. Yeah. One of the things I loved about this book is that it was such a great balance between the serious and the funny. Whenever it felt like it was getting really heavy and you started to really worry, there would be lighthearted scenes that right. kind of brought it back up. And I just really appreciated that because especially, you know, since it is for middle
1: grade. And I don't think it would be hard pressed to figure it out what this is all referring to any kid today. I, I was just <laughs> explaining the gist of it to my son and he was like, well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? So much about the immigrants and hating the immigrants just based on what you've seen about them. I felt that was like so huge between what we see on the news, what we see in real life. What I've seen personally, when I married my husband, God, like 15 years ago when we met, and I said, he's Turkish, people would automatically say, well, haven't you seen Midnight Express? And I was like, no, I haven't. (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? Or people would automatically say like, well, didn't you ever see the Sally Field movie? Not without my daughter. And like, P.S. That's Iran, totally different country, but it didn't matter because to the American, they were like, well, it's the same area. And just for the record, I don't have a daughter. My husband's never stolen my daughter. I did live there fine. I know there was no like. I didn't have to go to a Turkish prison. Um, you know we're all fine. I will also say that if you watch Midnight Express as a native speaker or as a Turkish speaker, now it's not really that scary because everything they say in this like horrible mean Turkish that they're supposed to be freaking everybody out about is always like, "Hey, what are you doing, Mehmet? Hey, come on over. Can you grab my my copy on the way?" I mean, it's just corny, but it is that sort of media perception. The media perception is that Turkish were incredibly violent and mean and so everybody assumed that if you are bringing someone from that world in they must be the same way and it ties in so well that like people are terrified of immigrants People are terrified of what they don't know.
0: Right. It's the other. That's why it's so valuable to have these kind of stories that makes the reader the other. Yeah. Because then you get that experience when you might not get it in normal life. Yeah. Did you also get the other really cool thing about this book, the main character? It took me about three chapters to start to question it. What are you talking about? Oh, you didn't get it. I'm so excited. That Lon has no gender. They don't say anything? Nope. His gender never comes up in the story. And I was about three chapters in and I'm like, huh, I'm thinking this is a boy because he had a sister, and so I just assumed it was a boy because we're kind of used to that dynamic in middle grade. Okay, so three chapters in, I'm like, well, what made me think that this was a boy because they haven't said anything recently to make me think it was a boy, so I kind of went back to the beginning. It doesn't say, and then I looked it up. He did it on purpose. It was intentional. Yeah, the author did it on purpose because he wanted any reader to be able to just step into the main character. So there's no description of what Lon looks like, or gender, or race, and even the cover is sort of vague. it's
1: interesting because one thing I read just a few minutes ago before we started one of the reviews was saying that the last name which of course I can't even say it it's like Milfi or something like that they said that it's an amalgamation of a Japanese last name and an Indian last name It was very clear that he was Asian and brown and I'm like it was not very clear because I didn't get that at all okay that was the whole point
0: because whatever you are as a reader whatever you're bringing into it is what you think
1: I think it's also important like we should just throw out there too they have this earpiece which is very was that hit Tiger's Guide to the Galaxy, like the Babblefish, right? Yeah. They have the earpiece and they have a this- a screen translator so they could speak any language and understand any language, which I thought I love that part too. And it was established really early on. It was very simple. It was very clear that, like, it was very much like, a, here's my iPad. My iPad will tell me what you're saying. And the mind of a middle grade kid would be like, oh, yeah, that's pretty obvious. They wouldn't think twice about it.
0: Yeah. I thought that the iPad like device was perfect too because it related perfectly to middle graders because it had to show TV on it, played music, their own videos, they could record themselves yeah. on it. Yeah. They could watch their own videos and then they could talk yeah. to other these other species Um, which yeah I thought that was really cool I thought it was interesting too because the times there was like one time at least where they didn't have them and it made the characters they were interacting with seem so much scarier when they couldn't understand what they were saying it's like midnight express once you knew the Turkish it's funny and you could feel that and that's that whole the other thing you know when you don't understand someone's language and you, you feel like
1: everything is threatening yeah well I still I, my in-laws were like that. All the time until I learned to speak (laughs) Turkish and I'm like, oh, right, you really don't like me. Okay.
0: (laughs) Well, that's not a Turkish thing. (laughs) I could always
1: pick up. I could always pick up when they were saying, Oh, the American. Yeah, that's me. I got it. I got no translation needed there. That's why I learned how to speak Turkish really quickly in that situation because I was like, oh no, you gotta learn before it goes bad. All right. So it was a great book. Here's the big exciting news though. This is the most I don't know if you read this, but on May 29th, 2020, Columbia Pictures purchased the right to make it a film. that's so exciting and it's going to be both live action and animation okay because I was kind of hoping it wouldn't
0: be like a cartoon when I was reading this I thought oh somebody's probably going to make it into a cartoon but I wanted to see it live action
1: kind of like have you seen the new stuff for the new Artemis Fowl series or movie on yeah yeah it's kind of maybe Mm -hmm. that like that vibe yeah oh that'd be cool so I was so excited and I'm always excited when a middle grade book gets picked up because I'm so happy for the author you know good for you Good on you. You know, like you're gonna make some dough. You deserve it. And P.S. I also did find out that this guy's from Freeport, Illinois. He was like, "It's right between Chicago and Iowa." And I'm like, "You are people. It's like sitting right between you and me." There we go.
0: There you go. Oh, did you also see? You were talking about the teacher stuff. That Random House has a great teacher's guide for this book. I looked through it and looked fascinating. It had a lot of stuff like discussions about immigration and refugees and all that kind of
1: stuff, which I thought like we can link it in the show notes because that would be great for teachers too. Awesome. Oh, one other thing, I just have to say. Talk to me about Marf. She sort of saves the day on the planet in many ways. Yeah. She's like this sort of criminal mastermind and rebel and she is an ororo, which they describe as looking like giant blue marshmallows. I just loved her every moment. Yeah. And she's a genius. She is. And she's got this sidekick who's a Kirk. And they look like werewolves. And they're tiny. So that's like the perfect combination. Yeah. Right. It was like a little Jabba the Hut with his little like monkey
0: man on top. I loved her because she was just the right kind of rule breaking. And I love that bit where she says, I'm in the kind of trouble you can only get out of if you overthrow the government. <laughs> I
1: was like, you go, girl. And she just had this like sort of fat girl energy that I totally love. I just loved it. Like, I'm going to own it. I am like brilliant. I don't care about you. Right. And then she was making
0: all this money on the side. So she's a hustler. It was great. She's, that was the best.
1: She's my favorite character. She's got a
0: better spaceship than anybody yeah. else on the planet, practically. And she's supposed to be in high school. In middle school. They're all
1: middle schoolers.
0: Oh, right. Duh, middle school. I give it five thumbs up if I had five thumbs. So. I agree. I, I'm digging this book a lot. Okay, should we move on? And so, what was your pick? I picked Stand Up Yumi Chung by Jessica Kim, but I just thought this book looked adorable. It's for ages nine to twelve. I probably a little bit. Lower. I would say
1: lower too, because the other one said nine to twelve too.
0: Yeah, this author she taught third, fourth, and fifth grade. That's the age range. Yep. And and you could tell she really gets that age group so well. The cast of characters she created were so fun. So anyway, I can give a quick summary of this, and then and this one just came out March of this year, so it's a pretty new book. Eleven year old Yumi Chung. She's a basically a shy Korean American girl, and she's struggling in her fancy L.A private school that her parents are spending every last penny on to keep her in the students there like call her names and she eats lunch in the bathroom by herself it's like you know one of those that gets you right away in the heart yes and then her one solace though is her favorite comedians how-to videos that she watches all the time and then she has a notebook full of jokes that she's writing on her own so she's using comedy as kind of a way to express herself in this sort of rigid environment that she's in over the summer, through a case of mistaken identity, she joins a summer comedy camp led by her favorite comedian, and then behind the back of her overprotecting parents, and um, and she kind of assumes a false identity, so the new friends she makes there also are being sort of tricked by her. But during this time, she learns to what I like to call fail forward, which I love that. I think that is an awesome lesson for any middle grader because they're going through so many difficult things at that time, and sometimes the hardest lesson is that you learn things more through failure than you do by succeeding
1: at everything you do.
0: And she also learns to basically stick up for herself. So she eventually uses her comedy skills to save the day, which is fun.
1: In a very unexpected way. Not
0: where I saw it going at all. That's what I thought. Some of the reviews, I, I mean, it had really glowing reviews, but a few of them said that they thought it was predictable. Oh my God. Totally not. I didn't think it was predictable at
1: all. So just when I thought it was predictable, it all blew up. Yeah. I thought it was very predictably like, oh, here we go. Then it all blew up and went a different direction. And I thought that was brilliant.
0: Yeah, it made me very happy too, because I was thinking, oh, it's going to be another middle grade book that just ends how you would expect it to end. But yeah, no, right then it kind of got crazy. And it was really fun to see how the pieces were going to be put back together. And they honestly were put back together in a really heartwarming and unique way too that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. I also, I mean, I love the cast characters. I think although she was pretty honest about what it was like to grow up in a Korean household with the pressure of being like a first-generation American with immigrant parents. On top of that, and I know she kind of lies a lot throughout the book, but I felt like the author treated the parents with like this love and respect, even though they could have come across as sort of hardcore like tiger mom
1: parents. But They were very nuanced. They were very nuanced. So as mean as they were, they were also, she showed really true sides. Yes. And there was like a real underlying love
0: for them. And I appreciated that, the nuance. And that's the problem with people from certain areas. We we try to lump them all together into one thing. And I felt like this really yeah. showed that that's not the case. And she shared so many insights in the Korean American um, immigrant experience and the Korean American experience, which I always appreciate diverse American dream
1: stories. I think it's interesting because they are diverse, but they're also all the same. Right. And there's a beautiful moment in there with her dad and her dad like finally lets his guard down. You know, like she's so worried about pleasing him and and everything. And he says something to her about being like, you know, like we would give up anything for your education. So you never have to work as hard as as we have. Yes. And it's something that I've heard my husband say to our kids, you know, like I will work as long and as hard as I have to because I don't want you to ever have to. I'm going to get all misty on my husband. But because it's really important to him. It's very important to him that the kids have what they need. It's very important him that the kids also do really well, but not in a mean way, but in a way that will make life easier for them because it is hard to be an immigrant. I know how hard it is when I went to his country and when he came to my country. And I know how hard it is raising a family when one parent's an immigrant on both sides of the of the equation. But when both parents are immigrants, I think it's a totally new and more difficult ballgame.
0: Right. And also, I feel like if you were to As an adult, looking at it like if I was an immigrant and my husband was an immigrant, I feel like you would would just focus all of your energy on your family because you don't have all those outside connections or outside distractions because you are there
1: together in a little unit. You're a bubble. I mean, even us, we're very bubbly. I mean, we're very much in a bubble because we don't have people in our world that are bicultural like that, really. Our kids know two languages. We have two different televisions in two different languages. We call grandma in English at one time we call grandma in Turkish in another time. There's a lot of it that's different. And you know, the kids. my kids are really into correcting their father's grammar right now. Oh, that's so cute. It's harsh to have a, a six-year-old tell you that's not how we say it, Baba. <laughs> the one advantage you always have is when you only have one immigrant is that the other person can take the lead and navigate. Sure. So when we lived in Turkey, he navigated everything. And when we were here, I navigate everything. I can't imagine not having a navigator like not having somebody that knows the ropes and then to be stuck as the kid, which is what basically happened in this book is the older sister pretty much was the navigator because she spoke really good English. She understood she was born in America. She understood the system. She could explain it to her parents. I think that that happens in so many immigrant families. And even though the book was so much about Yumi, it was also a lot about her sister. Yes,
0: it was. And their relationship Uh, because her sister was almost like her mother because they both shared that American
1: part of their lives. Yeah her sister was older and her sister kind of got the tiger parent brunt of everything yeah. before and tries to help Yumi not make the same choices just to make their parents happy that she had done. I think that it was it was really good. I, I, I agree with you 100%. It's a really great book. I love the fact that both of these books look at comedy as a way to save themselves and comedy as an art form and the fact that art's going to save the day. And I think that that's such a refreshing thing to see in a world where everybody's first reaction right now as we start to cut school budget is, we'll just cut the arts. Who needs them? Right. Everybody needs the arts. We all need the arts.
0: The comedy in the other book wasn't always funny because it was like sort of slapstick comedy. Right. And it was like comedy with a purpose, like purpose of saving your own butt. But the comedy in, in this Yumi book was fun and it was different. I wanted to read that one joke that she had in her notebook. I thought it was so cute. It says, it's really frustrating that my parents compare me to their friend's kids. It's always, why can't you play piano like Grace? Or why can't you speak Korean better than Yoon? The other day they were telling me, did you know that Minji got into Harvard? I said, mom, give me a break. I'm only 11 years old. Then she tells me Minji is nine. And I was like, oh so cute
1: right that's a joke that third fourth and fifth graders would think is really funny so we give it two thumbs up we had two major wins this week major wins I, and i have to say they were both quick reads i thought because they were very engaging
0: i think i read you me a little bit faster than we're not from here because that was just a little bit more i would say that was a little bit more like an upper middle grade wouldn't you agree that we're not from here
1: i do and you know i just looked at again because i double i wanted to double check and it is nine to twelve I think it's really heavy for anything below like, 9 and 10, it would be really heavy for them, I think. Yeah, I would even go into like 10th grade with that book. I would teach it in high school, lower high school. Yeah, easy.
0: 7th grade to ninth grade would probably be a better category for that book. And then I definitely think like 4th, 5th, 6th would be good for the Yumi book. I, I want to add one thing about the Yumi book. It's part of the Hashtag Own Voices campaign, which was started by Dutch author Corin Duve. She created it to promote authors from more marginalized and underrepresented groups where they were writing about their own experiences or from their own perspective. And I thought that was kind of an interesting campaign if anybody wanted to check that out. What's it called? The hashtag own voices? Own voices. Yep.
1: O-W-N-V-O-I-C-E-S. I mean, I got to tell you, maybe it's just our house, but like the immigrant life, there is never a dull <laughs> moment that is not hilarious. Here's a prime example. For weeks when we were all stuck in quarantine, I would send my husband to go to the grocery store. He was going to the grocery store with the list. Finally, one day, every time he went, he bought Doritos. And the kids don't eat Doritos and I don't like Doritos. We're just not a big fan of them, you know? But whatevs, he kept buying them. Sometimes he'd buy two bags. I look at my pantry and there's like 10 bags of Doritos in there. And I was like, what is wrong with you? And I kept putting on there, buy nacho chips, like chips for nachos. But he thought it meant, well, nacho chips. It says nacho cheese on the bag. He just saw nacho and was done. So P.S. if you need any Doritos, let me know. <laughs> I've still got plenty. I do it now bilingual. I usually send him like if it's especially with vegetables because there was a time where I just ended up getting like a gazillion eggplants and I was like, "Honey," I said, "I needed zucchini, not eggplant." And so finally, he's like, "Oh, you mean kabak, not potlejan?" I'm like, "Yes, I need kabak, not potlejan." So now we just, I just write it in both languages, and I'm like, sometimes I have to draw a picture. It gets a little. But I, I feel you, Yumi Chung. I know what you're going through, girl. I was there. All right, we're going to wrap this part up. We're going to take a quick break and come back with a segment we're calling Pick Six, Girl. That's very sporty of you to put that title on there. I thought you'd like that. It's like football, girl. Um, Heather and I will each pick three of our favorite books in a genre or topic. And, of course, this week it's multicultural books. We're back to our pick six, and Heather's feeling sporty. It's like she watched ESPN once. Just once. I'm so proud of you. Can you tell us what a pick six is in football? I have no idea. I just thought it rhymed. Bless your little nerdy heart. That's when you intercept the ball from the quarterback. Anyway, and take it in for six points. Okay. That's because I was a football mom. Thank Yeah, you very I'm a much.
0: hockey mom. Sorry.
1: All right. So... Heather, what's the first book on your pick six multicultural
0: books for middle graders? Okay. Well, you know, at the top of my list are always my favorite historical fiction authors
1: Because you're a nerd. I know. So
0: I would say Pam Munoz Ryan and Christopher Paul Curtis. Anything by them, obviously, I would highly recommend. But out of their collections from from each of them, I would say my favorites were Esperanza Rising from Pam Munoz Ryan.
1: Love that book. And
0: Bud Not- buddy from Christopher mm-hmm. Paul, Paul Curtis. I just love both those books. So yeah. they really stayed with me and I thought they showed how diverse and amazing the American experience and the American dream can be and has been from all different backgrounds. Um, so Esperanza Rising is about a girl whose family is doing well in, in Mexico until... Bad things start happening to them. And she and her mom have to flee to California, and it's during the Great Depression, and they really struggle
1: to survive. But it's still, you know, hopeful. And that book's been around a long time. I know. It's been, a, it's, which is really good because I remember reading it with my, I think it was my sixth graders when it very first was out. And I thought, wow, I wonder if the- I hope this book has staying power. And it really yeah. has. It's really stayed around a long yeah. time.
0: Yeah, And then Bud Not Buddy, of course, is about sweetest yeah. African-American boy. It's set in 1936 and he loses his mom. So he sets out on a journey to find his father because he finds some stuff of his mother's and he thinks it's clues to who his father is. And it's all into music. And oh, it's just such a fun book. I love that. It's so unique. It's such a great story. Those are my two picks so
1: far. Yeah, I uh, one other thing was, I was going to say is that, you know what I found, even just trying to like narrow yeah. it down and looking at lists to say, like, what do I really think of the top ones? Middle grade really needs to give itself a, a pat on the back because it's really hard to find a middle grade book right now with just a white kid. And it's awesome. It's so awesome. And even if there is a white boy in the book, his best friend is a black girl or an yeah. Asian girl or something. And I love it. I mean, every cast of characters in every book I picked up recently- There's just been a great and wonderful, realistic mix, just like everywhere in the United States, you know, not just a bunch of white kids. It's a big mix and I love it anyway. So my first pick, of course, is Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson. It's only been out since 2016, I think it was, 2015 or 2016. And it, it's top on the list of a lot of middle school and high school curriculums at this point. And it's a journey, a poetic journey, I guess is a better way to say it, um, through the childhood of the author in the 60s and 70s in South Carolina. And sort of like, what does she want the world to be? What does she see? What does she want? It's a really wonderful, we did it. We did it in, uh, I think it's eighth grade we have it at our school um and then I want to say my next one up is really falls into that genre of so diverse and it's towers falling by jewel park Rose.
0: I was thinking about putting that one on my list too
1: I love that book it's a cool book it's about 9-11, but it's not. It's about 9-11 and how it affects the lives of these kids that were born many, 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 many years later. And it's told from the main character's perspective. And she is uh, an African-American girl who's homeless, who's living in a homeless shelter. And she goes to a brand new, really funky school. And it's right across the street from where the towers were. And she meets two friends. And one of her best friends becomes this Muslim girl who's from Turkey, who her parents are Turkish immigrants, and she covers her head. I think it's really important I want to put out there that the majority of Turks do not cover their head it's probably more common now, but that's not really a very common thing in, in most of the major metropolitan areas. Anyway, <laughs> but it's just about sort of living as an Islamic person in America in a post 911 world and then how those worlds combine. The whole book is about owning your culture, admitting that we all have different cultures and that our, all of our cultures are amazing. So it's a great book. I found a really cool website, just real quick, that has some great resources for teachers to teach that book in particular. And it's called The Books, I can't say it, Salmonier. Is that what you say? Sommelier, Yeah, yeah, sure. Salmon like a wine steward, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, this woman is an English teacher and her partner that is a sommelier And they do these things like all this sort of funky, very tech heavy. It's teacher resources. So if you're gonna teach that book, it's a it's a great thing. And it's called the And I'll link it in the show notes too. Okay. You got another one for us? I
0: was doing some research, too, to find more modern picks because, you know, I always pick stuff from like the 2000s, early 2000s. So I found a great list by Charnay Gordon on readbrightly.com. The list includes 11 modern, diverse books, and I thought all of them looked like fun reads. And on that list was The First Rule of Punk. Ooh. By Celia Perez, which is a fun story about school outcasts who like rock music, skateboarding, oh God, totally vegan this. This food.
1: Like, oh my God, it's me.
0: I love it. Okay. And they make their own zines. And of course it has all the normal middle grade tropes of dealing with friendship and new schools and all that kind of stuff, but
1: it's adorable. I think it's important to know that punk never dies. You might you might get old, but you're always punk. And as I keep watching, because, you know, we live in Boston and the Dropkick Murphys are an awesome punk band from Boston. And ever since we started the quarantine thing, they've been live streaming concerts and they stream out of Fenway. Oh, cool. It's funny because now you look at them and you're like, oh, my God, you're old and fat too, but we're still all punk. We're all still rocking it. That's right. But he does get a little wheezy going across the front. We still love him. We still love him. (laughs) So do I. I mean, if I were trying to mosh pit right now, I'm sure I'd probably be dead in 30 seconds. (laughs) Back in the day. Uh, My last book, however, on my choice is I found a really cool uh, website called The Color of Us. I want to just point that out there. And it's C-O-L-O-U-R-S of Us. British style. Yeah. And it's really cool because you can pick any, like, I'd like an Asian book today. I'd like a book with a Latino main character or Latinx main character, whichever. Um, And it has it all grouped by that. I would like, you know, gender neutral. It's all in there. My book was not on there, but I I debated with this one, but I want to go with The House with Chicken Legs by Sophie Oh, did you read that? Oh my gosh, it's Baba Yaga. I love Baba Yaga. I love that book because it was such it had all the great like she would start talking in Russian and had all these great like sort of Russian overtones to it. And I feel like sometimes we forget that, you know, like Eastern European people can also be multicultural and diverse. Right. We have to keep a wide world view.
0: Yes. Well, you know, when I worked at the kids' magazines for U.S. kids, Baba Yaga stories were part of their history. They had a ton of them. Like, I can't remember when they first started publishing them. So when I was there, we went through and tried to modernize them and shorten them down for modern audience. It was so much fun. So yeah,
1: Baba Yaga is close to my heart and her chicken-legged house. It's a really great book. And I didn't know anything about Bobby Yaga when I read it. And actually, I had bought the book last year, I think, for my son to try to get him to read something besides, you know, sometimes I'm like, can we just have a main character that's not a boy into sports? But it it didn't work. He didn't like it, but I did. So So, next up on Tulip Mamas, we're going to be taking a look at Marcus Vega Does Not Speak Spanish by uh, Pablo Cartaya and A Song Below Water by Bethany C. Mara. Thank
0: you for listening to Two Lip Mamas. We really appreciate your support. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at com, where you can sign up to follow our blog. We're also on Facebook under Two Lip Mamas and on the
1: Insta. You're not cool enough, but
0: <laughs> we're on the Insta
1: now, on, on, the, on the gram the IG if you will. And it's also we're under two lit mamas podcast on the Instagram. There's a lot of lit mamas on the Insta. <laughs> but only only us with the podcast. And if you want to join us twice a month for kid lit discussions, please subscribe to our podcast through any of the places where you get your podcast. We did it. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.